everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we're going to be talking to Ollie London, who is a British internet personality, a social media influencer, and some of you may recognize his name because we covered his story. I remember writing a couple of columns about it a few years back when he decided to transition to from a white man to a Korean woman. And this story made international news. It was much, much discussed because it looked like he was taking the premises of gender ideology and following them to their natural conclusion. Well, he made news again in the past year when he publicly detransitioned, talked about how wrong he'd been, talked about how much he regretted all of those surgeries. He was interviewed across the board. He was in the newspapers all over again. He told the story on Tucker Carlson tonight, and now Ollie London has agreed to come on our show and to talk about what he went through and what we can all take away from it. And we're very grateful to have him. Here's our conversation. All right, Ollie, maybe you can just start off by introducing yourself to all of our listeners, because many of them will have read your story in one of Britain's national newspapers, or perhaps even even here at LifeSite, but won't know your story or yourself as defined by you. So let's start off that way. Right. So nice to meet everyone in Canada. My name's Ollie London. I'm a social media influencer. I'm also a news contributor in America on Newsmax. And basically, for the most of my life, I struggled with identity issues. And I've been very open about sharing my kind of identity issue struggles online via YouTube, via TikTok. And I have, you know, a very big audience on TikTok, which I'm very grateful for. But really, you know, I got to a point when I was getting bullied so much as a kid, at school as a teenager, I was getting bullied so much. So I wanted to change myself. I thought, you know what, people keep calling me ugly, they keep calling me names, maybe I should change myself. And people used to, you know, say I was feminine, I was like a girl. Uh, so it really led me to question my identity. And then of course, when social media rose, and you had all these ideas being put online, you know, I was kind of influenced by that. And I started to undergo surgeries to change who I was. And, you know, I actually became trans thinking, you know, what I've been told online by other people in my life, I was meant to be a woman Then I realized, you know what, I finally woken up and I'm not, you know, I just want to be myself. And I've, I've been going to church. I'm Catholic, I'm going to hopefully get baptized this, this year. And it's really changed my life. So let's back up a little bit. When you say social media influencer, A, what is a social media influencer? And B, how does somebody become one? Well, I mean, I kind of hate the term social media influencer, even though I use it myself, because it's kind of associated with, oh, these people are lazy. They can't be bothered to work. They just post pictures online. But actually, there's so much <laughs> There's so much to it. I mean, you know, you have to get brand deals. You have to curate an audience. You have to be very unique. And I've been doing social media for four years. I've got over 2 million followers across different platforms. And basically, I just like to make people happy. I do lighthearted, fun videos. And a social media influencer is basically someone that has an audience online and people follow people like to keep updated and they're you know interested in someone's story and I'm always very open I'm always sharing things with the hope of making other people happy so how did you acquire an audience because I know a lot of people want to build a following online but very few are successful at actually building anything of the size you're describing right I mean it takes years and years of work I've been doing social media since 2018 I do a lot of television as well which obviously boosts the social media and it's really kind of a daily it is like a full-time job because you have to spend all day coming up with new ideas for YouTube videos or TikToks to make them engaging to make them relevant and to to uh, capture that audience and to keep them entertained and keep them following you for a long time so you know it's not easy I, I dedicate you know 12 hours a day sometimes to doing social media making content 
uh, you know, setting up photo shoots, doing that, getting fashion brand collaborations. So it's kind of a lot of work, but it, it, if, you know, if someone keeps up at it, if someone has a unique niche, if they stand out from other people and stick to that, you know, they're more likely to stand out and curate a larger audience. So describing your own journey, I probably first became aware of you when I saw social media posts where you explained that you you thought that you were transgender and that you were going to begin a transition. So you just mentioned that the decision to transition or the decision to identify as transgender came because you'd been bullied, didn't like the way you looked, and it was kind of a rejection of of, of yourself. But how did you go from from somebody who was having identity issues to somebody who was actually physically modifying himself and doing so in front of, again, a a very, very large audience. Because I think you probably underwent one of the most public transitions beside for Jazz Jennings. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I used to watch Jazz Jennings shows years and years ago. And of course, you've got Caitlyn Jenner as well. That's another example. But yeah, really, it was just being bullied every single day at school and struggling with my image. I used to look in the mirror. I used to hate my reflection. And it just really ate away at me. And I was living in South Korea back in 2013. I was doing out there, which was really fun. Um, And that's really when I realized, you know, plastic surgery is so accessible. I mean, there were billboards literally everywhere. Every single store had like an advertisement for plastic surgery. All the pop stars in Korea were having surgery. And I thought, you know, maybe I can look a little bit better. Maybe I can look like one of those billboards. So I started then just trying to improve myself. And, you know, some of the surgeries went wrong. So I had to get additional surgeries. And I've ended up having, (laughs) I think, 32 now in total, which is a crazy number. And, you know, my last procedure, I did 11 surgeries in one day. So I've kind of put myself for a lot of risks. But it wasn't until last year, you know, I'd been told throughout my life, oh, you're more feminine, you're more like a girl. And then when you see it's like, so it seems so easy online, you see, you know, somebody changes their gender. And, you know, finally, people, you know, like the way they look, and they celebrate them, they praise them, they call them stunning and brave. So I thought, you know, my whole life, I hadn't been accepted, I've been rejected by people. And I thought, you know, maybe this is is for me. So I changed my gender. And, you know, I had people saying nice things for once, you know, celebrating me. And then suddenly, when I realized, you know, this is really not right, this is not natural, it's not for me. Then I started getting a lot of hate from like Antifa and stuff in America, like targeting me and all these trans activists. So it's really been quite a journey, <laughs> but I'm, I've finally got through the other side and I'm, I'm very happy now. So if you get to this point where, you know, you, you're identifying as transgender and you want to have surgeries to look different, how does one go about getting surgeries as a young person? To be honest, it's very, very accessible these days. I mean, I've actually found plastic surgeons previously just via Instagram without doing very little research. I just find them on Instagram, I DM them, and then I arrange a consultation, and then I book the surgery. So it's so accessible these days. And, you know, in retrospect, it's kind of dangerous. You know, basically, you know, I've done all these surgeries now. I can look back in reflection and think, wow, that was dangerous. I could have died. There were some surgeries where, you know, it was very, very painful. And I just feel sorry for young people. They, you know, they're constantly bombarded with the Kardashians, which use filters. They have plastic surgery. And, you know, people think that's an attainable look. And I thought it was an attainable look at the time. And, you know, these kids are having surgeries and regretting it. Or, you know, they're even getting them on like loans and stuff. And it's it's really tragic. And when it comes to trans surgery, it costs about $70,000 for someone to fully transition, meaning their body parts. And it's a very profitable industry. So, you know, based on those figures, you can see why so many hospitals and people are pushing for kids to transition because it's a very lucrative industry. 
Now, when you started to transition, what made your story even more sensational than the story of many people who have decided to identify as the opposite gender was you didn't just identify as a woman, you identified as a, as a Korean woman. And I remember when it first came out, I wasn't, because you were a social media influencer, I wasn't totally sure you weren't trolling. Like, I wasn't completely sure reading the story that you weren't actually just challenging the transgender movement on their own premises, right? Well, if I can identify this way, I can also identify this way. And you stated explicitly in some of your interviews with the British press, you know, that like, well, if I can change my sex, why can't I change my race? And, you know, I was like, yeah, the logic makes sense. But I couldn't tell if you were following their premises or you were challenging their premises at the time. What was your thinking around all of that? Well, I was generally just doing these surgeries. I mean, most of my surgeries were in Korea. I was doing it to be happy. And I love the way Korean people look. And I was just like, you know, I see all these woke people online saying you can identify as whatever you want. So I was like, all right, then I'm Korean. Because, you know, I love Korea. I lived in that country. I have an affinity with that culture. I, I spend so much time promoting Korean culture. And I was like, no, why not? So it was, you know, Part of it was challenging the narrative and saying to all these trans activists, so you're you're walking around telling people they can identify as a dog, they can identify as a clown, they can identify as pretty much anything. Why can't I decide to be Korean just because I've lived in Korea, I've had Korean surgery, I want to look Korean. You know, what's the harm in that? And obviously I was met with a backlash and it wasn't trolling at all. I was literally doing it to be happy. But you know, it was also challenging this narrative that these people say you can do anything you want. And everybody should respect your pronouns, respect who you are. And I was like, why aren't these people respecting me? You know, they're, they're complete hypocrites. So what was the split when you kind of came out as a, and you, and you said you were going to now identify as a Korean woman? What was the general reaction you got from trans activists and the trans supporting press? So when I came out as Korean originally, you know, I had a lot of surgeries and I was just like, why not? Why can't I be Korean? I had a lot of hate. You know, the liberal media were quite nasty and, you know, a lot of hate from activists, trans activists and stuff. And, you know, they just trolled me constantly, like constantly on TikTok, thousands of hate comments every day, death threats every day. And it was just so, so horrible. But then when I came out as trans and, you know, I had facial feminization surgeries, to look more feminine, I suddenly was getting praise. You know, these haters suddenly changed their narrative. The press was being nicer, you know, celebrating what I was doing. And I just thought, you know, that's very hypocritical. So I can be one thing, but I can't be the other. And, you know, you know, people say, oh, you can't change your gender, you know, and now these woke people are saying, oh, yes, you can. Well, why couldn't I identify as Korean? You know, what's the difference? Surely it's less extreme than trying to change your gender. Now, when you look at everything you experienced, you're a social media influencer, so you've got a pretty good idea of how social media works because your job literally depends on being good at that. How has transgender ideology spread through social media? And do you now think that social media can be pretty dangerous considering the fact that you could get consultations for surgeries over Instagram direct message? I mean, before social media was a thing, before we all had smartphones, you wouldn't hear stories of kids transitioning. You just wouldn't hear it. You'd, you'd, you, of course, you'd hear the odd story of someone that's transitioned or you might see an adult that's done it, you know, which was very uncommon. Some people were doing that back then. But now it's like every other person wants to be non-binary or trans. And it really has a lot to do with social media, because when you go on TikTok, you see these trans influencers, these non-binary influencers, you know, teaching kids about pronouns, you know, teaching kids to transition that it's easy, it's fun. If you feel like 
you're a boy and you want to wear a skirt, you must be trans, you must transition and have surgery. So social media can be very toxic. And I think it's very unregulated. And you know, so many kids, you know, every kid pretty much goes on social media, they see these things. And if they see the same thing every day, if they go to school and their teacher says, you're in the wrong gender, you should be a boy, you know, and to a five year old, they're going to think the teacher's right, because they're an adult, they're in a position of authority. So these kids, you know, with a mix of social media, with a mix of school and, you know, culture and television and movies, it's being pushed on these kids. And it's very dangerous, because these kids are, you know, in places like Oregon, 13 year olds can undergo these surgeries, which are irreversible. There's so many health implications and physically. And, you know, many of these kids will later grow to regret it but then they're stuck. You know, they have all these issues with their body, with the health, that they could be in debt from all the surgery. And it's just very, very sad. So that's why I wanted to use my platform to speak out and say, look, kids, just be happy the way you're born. Just be happy the way God made you. So when somebody decides to identify as transgender and they get this wave of affirmation on social media across all platforms, I've interviewed quite a few people who have detransitioned. And one of the things that many of them say is that when you have sort of this massive torrent of affirmation with one decision, in some ways you feel almost locked into that decision once you start to have doubts because you've told all these people and suddenly you've got all these legions of people who seem to be invested in your transition that you don't want to let down. Would you say that that reflects your experience or experiences that you've observed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in both my experience and other experiences, I think, you know, a lot of teens, they, you know, when you're a teenager, you always question your looks, your identity, you, you know, you don't always feel good. And kids get bullied. So they go online to social media platforms to get that positive affirmation to get people giving them compliments, giving them praise. And when a teen, you know, maybe it's a boy dressing as a girl, you know, they are suddenly going to get 1000s of views, hundreds of comments praising them all positive comments, there's no challenge to what they're doing. And, you know, they they want affirmation. Most kids just want to be accepted into society to be loved. Most people want to be famous on social media these days. So they start falling into that trap. They get praised. And then, you know, by the time they've realized, hmm, I actually don't want to change, they're kind of stuck because if they suddenly decide... I want to detransition, they're going to be, you know, all their followers are going to unfollow them, they're going to get cancelled, they're going to get hate. Most of the detransitioners online are bombarded with hate. So many of them don't actually come out to share their stories. The brave few teens across Canada and the US that have shared their stories, you know, they are subjected to a brutal attacks and hate. And in some cases in the US, you have Antifa targeting these people, targeting their workplaces, targeting their schools, you know, to try and cause problems for these kids. And it's just so sad. So, you know, with me personally, I definitely fell victim to social media because I was like seeing all these people transition and you know so many people kept saying I look more like a girl I was like maybe they're right you know I'm an adult but kids you know they can't consent to these decisions they can't you know actually think about these decisions and realize the lifelong implications now, most parents listening who are older and didn't grow up in the age of nonstop social media would say, you know, well, just t turn it off. Like, you know, don't go on social media. But would you say that for many people now, social media has become real life and that it's both it both dominates and invades every single aspect of how they live life outside the digital world? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, social media has almost become a virtual reality because kids spend pretty much all day on their phones. They're obsessed with TikTok, you know, Snapchat, Instagram. And the problem is that parents don't really see what's going on on these apps, you know, because the kids, you know, if their parents don't give them a mobile phone or cell phone, the, the, the kids, you know, they protest, they say, you know, all my friends have got one. So the parents kind of have to give them a phone. And it's really unregulated. I mean, you have some social media platforms where pretty much any kid can just say whatever age they want and join an app. You know, you can have a 10 year old using an app. Even Kim Kardashian's child Northwest uses TikTok. And it's just very dangerous and parents can't see what's going on. And, you know, these kids also see that on social media, everything seems so perfect. You know, most people use a filter. Everything seems so perfect, so easy, so fun. So when they see a trans influencer, it just looks easy. It looks fun. And they see how popular these trans influencers are. So they think, hmm, maybe if I transition, I can be popular too. And, you know, that can lead to a lot of kids wanting to get these surgeries or identify as a different gender. Now, you went through a lot of surgical alterations. As you said, you went through 11 surgeries in one day at one point. What was the process where after being that bought in and that committed and that invested, frankly, you realize that none of this was helping. What was that sort of intellectual and emotional journey like for you? Well, it was just having all these surgeries over an, a nine-year period and just still not being happy. You know, I kept looking in the mirror and I was thinking after a few months after the last surgeries, I was thinking, why am I not happy? And then I was thinking, okay, I need to do more surgery and then I'll be happy. And it was just like a snowball effect. It was just a never-ending cycle. And then suddenly I took myself out of that position. I was like, why am I even doing this in the first place? I'm kind of destroying myself. I was looking back at old photos of myself. And I was thinking, why did I do this? You know, I posted old photos of me before and everybody says, oh, you look so much better. And I'm thinking, God, I've really destroyed myself, you know, just to try and feel happy and feel accepted in society. And then it was a moment when I started going to church. I was going quite regularly and it just made me have some clarity. I was like, you know what, all this surgery is not important. It doesn't mean anything. It's what's inside that counts. If I can have a better connection with God, I can finally find inner happiness and inner peace. So that really helped turn my life around. And, you know, I just realized I was destroying myself. I'd, I'd become a different person. And I just felt really sad that what I've done to myself. What was detransition like? Because many people will have heard the word detransition. And of course, for people who haven't done surgery, it's pretty simple because they just stop identifying one way or another. But when you've actually taken as many steps as as you have, we have something very, very different. We have a detransition being a very complicated process. I'd, I've interviewed people like Chloe Cole, and it's, it's a much different process for somebody who's actually made real physical changes to their body. What was that like for you? I mean, I did facial feminization. So thankfully, I didn't do the body surgery. So I basically I had my forehead bone, my chin, my jaw, everything shaved down to make my face more feminine. I even had my eyes done, my eyebrow bone shaved. So I basically changed the look of my face, which, you know, is very extreme. But I'm very grateful I didn't do my body because people like Chloe Cole, unfortunately, as a teenager, they were pushed and coerced into going on hormone treatments, going on puberty blockers and actually physically having a surgery. And it it's really breaks my heart to see that happening to kids. And it seems to be happening more and more. You have over 300 pediatric clinics in the US alone and they're popping up everywhere. And it's just very sad, you know, because these teens, it really destroys their body. You know, they're never going to be the same. And really, it's only a temporary fix. You know, having that surgery, they're going to feel happy for a few months. And then they're actually going to, you know, most of them will regret it. There might be some that will be happy for life, but that's pretty rare. But I think most of these kids are just going to regret it. And they're going to be stuck with health complications for the rest of their life. And the doctors don't tell them this. And also the doctors don't offer any 
a rep- any support for any kids that detransition because no, there are LGBT organizations out there that say detransition doesn't even exist. What was the response like? Because you kind of got whiplash when you started identifying as as Korean, you got a lot of backlash. Then when you identified as a woman, you had the full throated support of the transgender community. And then you detransitioned and again did that very publicly. You did interviews on network TV. There was articles in the Daily Mail and all the major newspapers about it. What was the response at that point? When I was, you know, saying I wanted to be Korean, that was really, again, part of my identity struggle. I just didn't feel happy with my own body, with the way I was. So I thought maybe I can change myself. Maybe I can, you know, become a part of Korean society because I love Korea so much. Obviously, now in retrospect, I've realized that wasn't the right thing to do. And, you know, it didn't make me happy anyway. But, you know, the the media response, you know, it was mostly the liberal media were pretty, pretty rough and not very nice on me. And but then there were some conservative media outlets that were saying, look, why can't he identify this way? Because, you know, if people can be trans, they can, they're saying they can change their gender. Why can't he live his life and do this? You know, he's not hurting anyone. So it was kind of a mixed response. But in terms of social media, it was very hateful. I received a lot of abuse. I didn't leave my hotel for one week because of that, because I was scared someone was going to kill me. And I was in America at the time. And I was getting a lot of people saying they know where my hotel was. They were going to come and shoot me. So it was really, really tough. Why would somebody be so angry when you said that you finally feel happy that they're threatening to shoot you and do violence to you? What was Did they say why they were so angry? Because it seems so bizarre. I mean, I think these people are just full of hate. Sadly, you know, they are like kind of, the online police, they like to bully people online that they perceive as different or that doesn't fit their narrative. And these people are very hateful. You know, if you look at trans activists, the way they treat women, you know, any woman such as JK Rowling, the Harry Potter author, if she she was speaking up to defend women and saying, look, men shouldn't be self-identifying and going to women's restrooms. She has been, you know, cancelled, basically. There was a Harry Potter printing the other day, and they, they removed her name from the cover. And I mean, she's the author. They didn't have her in the Harry Potter a reunion, all because she said that men cannot menstruate, which is just a scientific fact, you know, you can't debate that. But she is now cancelled, basically. And so many women are getting cancelled on social media by these kind of woke police. And it's really sad. But, you know, thankfully, there's a fight back against it now. There's a lot of people, majority of people are anti-woke, you know, woke is only a very small percentage of the population. But sadly, a lot of universities are giving into these woke people, you know, they're cancelling teachers, professors are losing their jobs, simply for discussing that, you know, you can't change biology. And there's, you know, men or women, if you want to have surgery to become a woman, okay, but you can't physically change your biology. And it's like, it's these people are just crazy. Have you had other detransitioners or people considering detransition reach out to you since you went public with your story? Yeah, so I speak to Chloe very regularly. I've spoken to a number of other detransitioners, and I'm also an ambassador for the US organ charity Gays Against Groomers, which is based in the LGBT organization, you know, it, which includes some trans people that are against kids being groomed to transition. So I have been in contact with, you know, lots of detransitioners. And, you know, these people are very brave. I mean, if you look at Chloe, she's only 18 and she is campaigning. She was just in Washington. She is really saving thousands and thousands of lives. So I really commend these teens for their bravery. And, you know, I've been communicating with um, some of the detransitioners just to try and help, 
you know, elevate their voice and let them tell their story because there's, you know, few people letting them tell their story, you know, liberal media don't even speak about detransitioning. You'll never see a detransition story on CNN or NBC or CNBC, you know, they don't cover it, it's, which is which is very wrong, but they just want to sell the dream that being trans is cool, being trans is easy, which is not. When I talked to Chloe Cool, she mentioned that there was in her view, a wave of detransitioners coming because the first sort of generation that transitioned very early, let's say went on puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones very quickly after puberty, did as she did. She she got a double mastectomy when she was underage that she thinks more and more people are going to come forward. What is your take on that, having gone through this experience yourself? You know, if you searched online a year ago, you wouldn't find one story of a teen or anyone detransitioning. And thankfully now there's a lot of people talking about it. It's regularly in the news every day. There's, you know, brave people on TikTok and stuff. They're sharing their stories and detransitioning. And finally, there are people coming out the woodwork and, you know, they're very brave and I commend them for doing it. They're speaking up and, you know, people are starting to realize, actually, there's thousands and thousands of people out there that are detransitioning. You know, they're being silenced. They're not given the voice. There's a, a Reddit group which has like 50,000 members in a detransition group online. So there's a lot of people out there. And, you know, finally, they're having their voices heard. But again, not on the liberal mainstream media. They're choosing to ignore it. They pretend it doesn't exist. So, you know, it's great to see so many people speaking out. But it's also very heartbreaking to hear their stories and hear the pain and suffering they've gone through and hear how they were manipulated to and lied to by adults that, you know, shouldn't have done this to these kids. What are your plans going forward, right? You've got, you've amassed this audience of a couple of million people, and now you have the kind of two stories in one life. You have the story of, of transition and now the story of, of detransition. You've been supported by the trans movement. You've been hated by the trans movement. I assume, or at least I hope that the vitriol against you online has kind of died down at this point, but what are you planning to do going forward? Well, I want to really help these other people that are struggling. You know, I want to help people tell their stories. I was in Washington in November. I had some meetings with some legislators, and I'll be back in February meeting with some members of Congress and senators just to try and you know, come up with a solution to help these kids. Because I don't think it's right that, you know, a child, anyone under 18, is having these life-altering surgeries or hormones. You know, I personally believe if somebody wants to identify whatever – do it as an adult when you've thought about it. But, you know, don't offend people in the meantime. Like, don't take away women's spaces. Don't take away women's sports. You know, do it in a nice way that's kind and supportive of others. But, you know, I want to kind of work on legislation in Washington, D.C. to try and get some laws passed to prevent these surgeries happening in teens and also to help, you know, elevate the voices of these detransitioners. I'm also writing a book about my personal experience in autobiography. So I want to be able to, you know, help people predominantly across the US and Canada, where this is more of an issue in the UK, it's not such an issue. The The rules are quite strict here for transitioning. But I just want to help people, you know, because I think I've made some mistakes. I've had a lot of surgery that I deeply regret. And not everyone regrets it. But you know, most of these people are gonna in later life, they're gonna feel bad, they're gonna have health complications, they're gonna have depression, there's a high suicide rate. So I just want to help these people. Final question here, you know, you, you know, social media inside out and backwards, what would you say to parents whose children have social media or whether they're thinking about letting their kids have it? 
obviously as a parent, it's hard to stop a child using social media because, you know, all their friends are on social media, they all use it. But it's important to, you know, limit how much time a child spends on their phone because it's not healthy at the end of the day. Kids should be doing, you know, art, sports, reading books. So, you know, it's much better for their development than having, you know, a TikTok and looking at TikTok videos of an influencer transitioning. It's just not healthy. So I would say to parents, just be cautious, you know, Try to resist your child having a phone until they're a certain age. I know it's hard. And just monitor what your child looks at because you can obviously have parental locks on phones. But, you know, many of the parents, they don't see what goes on online. They don't see what I would call is grooming, the way kids are being taught on a daily basis to transition uh, from what they see on social media. It's seen as cool. They're given praise if they transition. So I just think it's harmful and parents should be more cautious about their kid being on social media. Keep an eye. And just, you know, if their kid is confused about their identity, just, you know, be supportive and loving of their child, but just let them know that, you know, most teenagers go through this phase. It's very normal for people to question their identity, but, you know, they shouldn't go with a trend just because it's called and transition. Ollie, thank you so much for telling your story and thank you so much for taking the time to share it with us. Thank you. Really great to speak to you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. And thank you to all the listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Ollie London. If you would like to check out past shows or subscribe to future shows, please head over to lifesightnews.com. Click on the podcast tab. There you'll find the show and you can find us wherever you download your content. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.